God is a priest of the Israelites. Ours was in Santa Rosa, California. Here, let's uh, let's officially start. Um, I uh, I am John, and this is Smite Me. Flip that order. This is Smite Me, <laughs> the Torah podcast. Um, I'm here with my co-hosts, Josh Marcus. What's up, everyone? And Ayani Hayashi. How's it going, everyone? Um, and our guest today, as you've probably heard by now, is the very funny John Moskowitz. What's up? Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Our pleasure, man. Yeah, we were just uh, t- talking about West Coast Jewish Sleepaway Camp, one of the perennials on this podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I don't know. It's been a while since we recorded. Got to shake off the dust. We do. Yep, yep. Um, I'll say I, I went to the oldest Jewish Sleepaway Camp, the original one, Surprise Lake Camp, best in Jewish camping since 1902. So <laughs> none of this newfound Jewish Sleepaway uh-huh. Camp in Pioneer Country. This is good old fashioned. It was like started because Lower East Side kids were not able to breathe during the summer. <laughs> and our alumni list is nuts. Oh, so like the the Jewish ones with the breathing problem, the asthmatic Jewish ones were like, I gotta go to the mountains. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Um, uh, do you know whatever like insane racist thing had to happen for it to be called Surprise Lake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, all I know is it's on Lake Surprise, and uh... that concerns me in the Northeast. I mean, real, really anywhere. There's a lake in our country. <laughs> it's not a very large lake, to be honest. I think half of it's man-made. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you, you might not even see it. That's why it's a surprise of a lake. Oh, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. But yeah, the alumni include Gene Simmons and I'm trying to... Who is the uh, Larry King and jerry stiller a bunch of like very old school jews it's pretty surprising to think about larry king as a child i have to say like i don't really know if i want to do that you know (laughs) if if he didn't have overalls i'd be upset yeah (laughs) just asking kind of like well-meaning but slightly insane questions like as like a 10 year old that is what that those are the kind of questions 10 year olds ask though yeah that's a good point maybe he just never his body grew, but his mind like, it was well, at like questions. Why yeah. are some people bigger like that lady? <laughs> <laughs> he did never grow up. That's why he has so many spouses. Well, mm. now he's dead. What? Wait, are we talking about Larry King? Yeah. He's dead, right? Well, yeah, that's why he had so many spouses. Right. He never grew up. Mm-hmm. Okay, the only thing I can find about the name of Surprise Lake is that there's nothing about the name or how it got it, but that it's northwest of Breakneck Ridge. Oh, so, God. <laughs> perhaps surprise you broke your neck. Wow. Uh, that's all I got for you. There's a, um, in my hometown, there's an event called the Festival of the Lanterns, um, which is like, it's supposedly this, uh, like, multicultural festival celebrating the, like, coexistence of, like, the, um, I believe it was, or no it was chinese like miners and farmers who were there in the area for a while and then like some sort of like religious like camp somewhere and it's like how they all got together and hung out and like lit lanterns and stuff and then like the descendants of those people like yeah that shit didn't happen like 
pretty much ever but but there are some people who are diehard like well i grew up going to the festival of the lanterns and it's yeah the festival is the tradition now yeah there'll be a story about how this whole thing didn't happen but then there was the people who believed it happened and that's what the festival is about yeah so i have a question for you which is if you are jewish enough to go to a sleepaway summer camp and presumably be jewish all summer how summer or how would you not have summer how jewish were you during perhaps the academic school year did you go to synagogue uh, or you know i went to jewish day camp from kindergarten through eighth grade Saturday school. day school sorry i went Dang. to jewish day school it was called hanasenish i had a very specific jewish culture i grew up in in the park slope area of brooklyn where my synagogue was the first synagogue to technically be a conservative synagogue in the United States and still have a woman rabbi and she's gay. And most of the women who ran the school I went to were the gay daughters of Orthodox Jews. So I grew up in this culture that was extremely liberal in every way, yet extremely Zionist. Interesting. Okay. So like, tell me more. I don't know. Yeah. Like this is really interesting. So, So like, as basically like as accepting as can be while also still pretty strictly adherent to some of the like at the very least uh traditional like lessons does that seem accurate yeah well and the prayer style was extremely traditional so that's why it was considered a conservative synagogue is they weren't trying to appeal to the masses by having us do church songs or anything it was mm-hmm. like women with a talus but the women knew when to lift their talus for the amidah and all of these things and it was we we did have cantors but they were very minimal in the services mm-hmm. and it was very traditional prayer that i grew up with got it you were not a you're not mixing in Bob Marley and the Mihamoha. Absolutely not. Not except for at camp. At camp uh-huh. was the only place. And because of that, I went to the Orthodox service at camp, which was run by the kosher guy at the camp who always ended up being creepy to the women. Every time I had a weird thing. When you say the kosher guy, is he like the food guy? Yeah. Well, he's the guy who makes sure the food's kosher. I forgot the, the name, but. The the same kind of person who is attracted to what would be in other communities like a youth pastor, they're the same person no matter what community you're in. It's not a youth pastor type. This was like a weird old man because you need a very specific license that's like a weird trade to go into oh, okay. I, to make I sure the uh-huh. food's kosher. And like he wasn't really supposed to have any sort of social role or any interacting role at all, except for they couldn't afford someone to do a service that didn't involve that. And I think some of the kids or parents complained about their kids like singing the prayers as pop songs and so then he led this service so he was just a he was just a creepy old man a regular creepy old man hogwarts defense against the dark arts teacher style we had like five of them we had like a new one every year (laughs) and it was just someone who didn't have any teaching background but or like even any like religious like clergy background but they because they were just like the one orthodox person at the camp they like got to lead yeah. that stuff they, they had gone to rabbinical school for the job of making sure the food's kosher got it hyper fixation on food and on 13 year olds that's good stuff yeah very yeah. good uh, i guess technically it went up to 15 so let's mm-hmm. just hope it was them mostly uh, mm-hmm. well, but no it was bad <laughs> It was bad. Like and it was never have- anything that like got caught going that far, but it was just every time got a complaint and was not asked back. Mm-hmm. I feel like you had an 
you have what sounds like maybe the reverse of some people's experience where like in their day-to-day life like they're like one of the three Jews or whatever at the high at the middle school and then you know they go to the summer camp and they're like wow everyone's so Jewish like I feel so connected to it whereas like summer camp feels like you know you're just like or just like it feels like way less hardcore Judaism than you're I don't know that's just interesting I even went to a day camp that was in a synagogue in Brooklyn and that's where I met my first friends who weren't outside of being in like child from certain sports that's the first place that I was interacting with like a lot of black kids and kids from different backgrounds who are Jewish mm-hmm. was this camp that was non-secular but in a synagogue got, got it, it. Gotcha. that is an interesting background yeah very, very niche, like reconstructionist yet conservative Judaism, the, done by very liberal people. Did the um did the Park Slope Food Co op factor into your life at all? Yeah, my mother was a member. Let's uh, go until until uh, it got way too <laughs> political about Israel. There was all these fights about lack of <laughs> products. There was all these fights about if they should carry Israeli products anymore. And also, Damn. she was tired of working my dad's shift. So we no longer uh-huh. began working at the park. Wow. I was at the Park Slope Jewish Center on 9-11 when my mom was trying to figure out if my dad came to work on time and was dead. You know? <laughs> oh. Yeah, my uh, my dad worked across the street from the Trade Center. And my mom was on child leave. She was a school teacher, so she had multiple years to do that. And so she, her job was working the child care facility at the food co-op. And we mm-hmm. were in the food, we were in the child care facility and they didn't have cell phones, obviously, in 2001. And luckily, my dad was watching like Clint Eastwood movies and was late to work. He was just <laughs> at like nine, eight, at like 7 a.m. He does that most days. <laughs> he puts on like cable with old movies. Uh-huh. And then he's like, oops, I got to work at 950. And Dang. he just does that most days. But he was late. And then my mom assumed that he was like running from the falling towers. And then he just shows up at the Park Slope food co-op. And he's like, and Dirty Harry, Dirty Harry saved my life. Yeah, isn't that the Conspiracy theory that all the Jews didn't show up to work because they were watching Clint Eastwood movies. Yeah. <laughs> no, the 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 uh, the real. I really do. I feel weird fighting the stereotypes and then being like, "Yeah, my dad was a lawyer who was late to work in the financial district <laughs> that day. He just happened to be late." And then his whole story is that he tried taking the train in to see if he could help because no one understood what it was. And then he had to come hang out with us instead, which is what he should have done uh, because of the uh, trains not letting you into Manhattan. It's like, I'm not going to walk the bridge. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. (laughs) That's fucking wild. (laughs) You asked, Josh, you asked him... um, did the Park Slope food co-op factor into your life? And he said, yeah, that's where I was on September 11th. It's <laughs> a matter of fact. Yeah, you fucking delivered. I thought you'd be like, yeah. <laughs> no, you man. nailed that question. <laughs> I just, I, I've been I, I waiting <laughs> for someone to bring up the Park Slope food co-op in my life. You were primed. Yeah, I used to live in the neighborhood and like I was always fascinated 
Um, we, uh, we thought about joining, but then they were like, every, if you're in a ro- an apartment with roommates, every roommate has to work a shift. Like you can't just fucking fake it and have like one person go there. And we're like, wow, this seems uh, really intense. Maybe we're going to not extremely intense, extremely political. It, yeah. it was like a huge part of my parents' lives, like just the elections and and what what propositions we should vote on for the. If you allow Sabra in, you are one of the you know collaborators. Damn. Damn. Can, can I get a little bit more perspective on on what this co-op is? I feel like I have an idea, but I don't want to make any assumptions. It's the original of the Brooklyn food co-ops. And so it is very academicized and politicized. And it's in North Slope where everyone now pretends to be artsy, but they're older and like probably their parents had money. You know, I mean, my parents bought their place in the 90s and we're in a neighborhood called Windsor Terrace. It's a smaller neighborhood, but they bought that place in the 90s when like you could get a mortgage if you were just a professional. Now I work in Windsor Terrace and even all the way down there, it's like these are people whose parents' parents have money. Um, It's a different thing. And it's just like a really famous store, I guess, in the city. Like it's just known for like it's like both like just amazing kind of groceries but then like very kind of persnickety like culture about it i guess well i'll say this growing up in park slope and within that jewish culture too and at the school i went to it was very status based but the status came from my kid got a liberal arts degree from williams college and is going to be a professor it didn't come from getting a job that made a lot of money it came Mm. from your family has enough money that you can pursue academia and and my my five-year-old reads the new york times that's the (sighs) things that people wanted to brag about oh my god that's a fucking vibe for sure. Yeah. <laughs> nothing nothing captures that more than the Park Slope Food Co. Um, and then what are the, I mean, I know I the prices are just like lower than at a grocery store, but you have to be a member. That's kind of. You have to, yeah, you have to work, a sh- work like shifts there. And they have like really like amazing mushroom, like just like great selections of good produce. It's a socialist supermarket. So everyone votes on all the rules. Everyone, they have childcare because of that. And everyone has to contribute to it. So that brings the prices down and allows them to have like all these organic and straight from the farm foods at the price, if not cheaper than a key food would have their food. Which also... The other reason my parents left the food cop is there were no proper supermarkets in Brooklyn when I was growing up. Not really in my part. There was these there was the little key foods that you still have, but as far as like families with a car, the first mm-hmm. one was Fairway and Red Hook. And then like later then Trader Joe's showed up in downtown Brooklyn. That was a big deal. And then came the big Whole Foods in Gowanus. So like, and then there also is a kosher supermarket that my mom would go to because we mostly ate kosher meat, even though we didn't keep kosher in the house. Uh, and that's called Pomegranate, and that's like a fancy kosher supermarket in Midwood that my mom would drive down to that area for certain Jewish stuff too, for bakeries and things like that. This is a straight on the streets reporting of fucking how this shit went down coming up from the 90s all the way up until now, back when there was no Trader Joe's, back when there was no Whole Foods. There was just me, the co-op, and then the one family with the car. Well, and it's like my mom couldn't 
my mom couldn't do my dad's shift anymore after working a public school in Williamsburg. And then as soon as fairway opened, it was like, okay, I'm not putting up with this political shit anymore. I don't need, I don't need to try to defend Israel in order to buy bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Damn. Wow. I want to hear a podcast. That's like a history of Brooklyn through the supermarkets there. Like I honestly, there's a lot, there's a lot flowing through there. Yeah, I'm just imagining like trying to buy. Yeah, damn. There's a there's a whole there's a whole series you could do on locations and how how the supermarkets that come up there uh, are indicators of the signs of a changing demographic. Yeah. It's the most politically yeah. correct way I'm going to phrase that. Um Well, that's all interesting. Um that's all very very cool. That's that's So, I guess my other question would be just, and then we'll kind of move on from your upbringing is like studying the Torah. Was that a big thing that they had you do? Or is it kind of just like, that's sort of what you do if you're into that, but mostly it's about just kind of showing up to the services and and doing the holidays. No, I mean, I went to Jewish day school. So we had Chumash class starting in, you know, about second, third grade. And I had that all the way through middle school. And it's something I really value about my education, honestly, because it's not even the spiritual side of that, but it was just the fact that I had a philosophy class in elementary school, I think is pretty good and teaches you to think critically and debate and discuss and stuff. So I valued that a ton. Uh, And like we went into school, the school was kosher dairy, dairy kosher. So you brought in lunches that were dairy kosher. And you usually brought in lunch or they, they had a program for hot lunch that was like delivered by a kosher restaurant that you could do. And you, you wore a kippah, uh, while in school or a hat. So like hats were such a huge thing at my middle school because you didn't Mm. want to wear a kippah. Uh, so it was like Yankees fitteds. Yeah, 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 exactly. We had half Yankees fans, half Red Sox fans. That families came from Boston because it was small, oh. small grades too. So it was very like you uh-huh. wear your Yankees hat or your Red Sox hat when you were younger. A few, not a ton, well, to be honest. Well, a lot. which which one were you? <laughs> Hold on. Oh, Yankees. My uh, my dad's side <laughs> goes back to the Bronx. So my family's been here, you know, Ellis Island, like my, my grandfather fought in world war two. So they were here pre Holocaust and, uh, been here like three generations. It was my great, my great grandparents is who came here. Um, so given that sort of fairly extensive Torah study, it sounds like you did, like, what did you think about it growing up? Cause I think one of the interesting revelations we've had is like, doing this podcast is, you know, it's kind of the first, at least for me, um, like the first time, like reading it all the way through, really looking at it in depth rather than just getting the kind of highlights from, you know, religious studies class. Like, what did you think about it as a kid? Do you, you know, what do you think about it? I haven't looked at it in depth since I was, you know, like since around the time I was learning what sex is. Mm -hmm. So it's a very different way for me to look at it because it's been that Mm -hmm. long but i remember the value being very much so in the debate of it right Mm -hmm. it's not about the story itself as much as if the fact that the story offers you so many different versions of it that learning to debate that is going to kind of help you problem solve anything 
and you nice. could apply it to anything because there is something in there. It's it's a bunch of big books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'll, will... I'll, I'll say this. I also this is we're gonna bring this back to nine eleven. Let's go. <laughs> as as all things should. <laughs> <laughs> My bar mitzvah. Even though I'm, that's not around my birthday, I had to give a speech in New York City on the 10th anniversary of 9-11 in Berlin. I had to give the speech to my synagogue. Uh, and not, no, not just to a bunch of like random New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what's this audience like? Is it just the entire... <laughs> I, I was sitting there by the memorial and I was like, first of all, uh-huh. I want to thank my mom who's raised me so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like at the synagogue, people go on holidays like that. I feel like who don't always go specifically to hear the mm-hmm. rabbi speak, especially our rabbi is pretty notable uh, and has a following of sorts. And so it was a lot of pressure to be giving the speech about that. And then the Parsha that I had to tie it into was about how you treat your slaves of war. <laughs> oh my God. It's specifically about how you're allowed to marry the women, but you have to let them mourn first. Ah, <laughs> uh, I think I remember that portion. I think we just talked about that. What did, what did you, you like, say? Did you talk about like Gitmo and shit? How political did you make it? Were you like, I'm a 13 year old and I think war is bad? Uh, I don't remember all of it for tying in. I think the biggest thing that you could take into it is that it's about trying to be humane when in extreme situations. I think that's what I talked about. I remember having a paragraph involving like some of the violence that happened in New York to Muslim and people that people thought were Muslim uh, post nine mm-hmm. eleven, like Sikh people who would get attacked and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I vaguely, I remember my main memory is speech giving speeches is like the one place I excelled academically. And I was like really bad in school, but I liked, I liked Humash class because it was about, debate and all the things that and public speaking and all the things that played to my strengths and so i did very well in the speech and i remember this random guy i didn't know who was just at the synagogue that week uh asked if my dad was a lawyer and i was like yeah he was like no wonder the speech was good and i was like my dad didn't help me at all busy being a lawyer just kidding. My dad was busy watching movies while I was writing this shit. <laughs> yeah, my dad was pretending to be Clint Eastwood. <laughs> my dad was watching Gran Torino at 6.30 like, like a real man. In one room, it's John, like, pacing, practicing his speech, and then in the other room, the next room over, it's his dad, like, yeah. eating popcorn, just being like, yeah, fucking get him. <laughs> <laughs> I love wow. the way he mugs the camera after he shoots. It's something only he does. I feel like in the spirit of uh, weird serendipities, it would be we'd be remiss not to mention the fact that Josh um, grew up in a town that Clint Eastwood was once the mayor of. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Carmel, California. Yeah, yeah. he was he's married what? in the eighties. <laughs> that's nuts. Speak on that, Josh. What's, What's that? that? I said, I said, speak on that on, on well, Mayor the, um, Clint Eastwood. Well, the, um, the Woods administration happened before I was alive, so I can't say I've experienced um, what <laughs> the governance Woods under, <laughs> yeah, under the boots of uh, Clint was like. It would um, be the I'm Wood in, administration. <laughs> oh, East. 
Eastwood. I don't know why I just said Woods. Uh, Clint Woods. That's, That's what the guy. town is going to be renamed. It's the Clint Eastwoods. See, honestly, he owns a lot of land, so it's not super far off from that. Um, no, I just knew him as just this kind of like old famous guy who is occasionally around. And like he is very kind of slovenly in person, but like drives a Porsche. Um, He's slovenly on screen as well. <laughs> have, yeah, you ever seen, a- <laughs> have you ever seen Hello Rockers? Uh, no. What's that? It's the uh, same director from the movie Kids, and it's this movie about Mexican teenagers skateboarding around L.A. But spoilers, uh, there's a scene towards the end where they're sneaking, like these Beverly Hills girls invite them back to their place, and then they're getting in trouble, and they're being chased, so they're chasing through all these Beverly Hills houses, and they end up in Clint Eastwood's backyard, and Clint Eastwood playing Clint Eastwood shoots one of the Mexican kids. And it's the craziest movie yeah. I've ever seen. Wow. He went from that level of self-awareness to talking to a chair at the Republican National Convention. You gotta love it. I think that's within the same line. I think he's like, this is the guy I want to be. Yeah, maybe he like wasn't in on the joke of that movie. Wow. Rich. A rich set of <laughs> set of topics we can't go in here. Do you want to relate this to, because I'm never talking to Jewish people about this, and there's this movie. None of you ever saw Victory, right? This is the most insulting movie as a Jew. Victory? We should watch it then, because we love... We love, an- <laughs> we love being degraded. <laughs> Weirdly anti-Semitic movie. <laughs> there is no more evidence that Jews don't completely run the media than the fact that the movie Victory was made. It was made in the 70s. Do you know The Longest Yard? Okay, same concept, but it's about soccer and it takes place in a concentration camp. And it's... (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) And it stars Sylvester Stallone and and Michael Caine. Dude, that sounds... Good. The heroic Jews leading the rest of the Jews in soccer against the guards? Oh my god, Pele is in it. What? what? <laughs> yes! Pele, I was getting to that. That is Pele. insane. And they never really explained how Pele ended up in the concentration camp. Dude, is Sly supposed to be a Jew too? No. So he is an American like Marine guy who gets captured by the Nazis and his plan, he's only on the team because of course he sucks at soccer because he's the American is to help them escape using the soccer game. So they're going to escape during halftime. And then Michael Caine's the British coach. And there's like some fucked up scenes in it, even though it's like a kind of a kid movie. And the most fucked up scene is they're like, okay, if you're going to have us play the Germans in soccer, we need to get the best Jewish soccer players from all of Europe here. And then they bring them over and they're like, we can't use these guys. They're all in such bad shape. <laughs> Wait, who brings them in? Like the Germans bring them from the other camps all to this one camp so they could train with them. And then they're oh. all so fucked up from the Holocaust that they're like, we, and it's like such an unnecessary plot point. I love the idea of them like just like scouts going like they're scouting. Dude, this sounds wow. We should fucking this watch movie. this movie. They're, they're like professional. There were like professionals pre the Holocaust, right? Is the well, I'm just thinking of like that scene in uh, Moneyball where all the scouts are like sitting around the table and they're like, yeah, you know, he's got no confidence. Like, you know, he's got an ugly girlfriend. He'll never hit a home run. But like Nazi is doing that about Jewish soccer players in the concentration. Instead of it being RBIs, it's who's eating. <laughs> Yeah, like, 
My big question though is that are the stakes uh, maybe I'm rewriting this movie in my head, but are this it's a is it it's a soccer game of um Jews versus Nazis and are the stakes that if the Jews win then the Nazis have to stop doing the Holocaust? No, it's just a propaganda thing, but they're like, We'll give you more food, we'll give you all this stuff while you train and stuff. Give you Adidas. Yeah. So that's why they're doing all of that. But actually their plans to escape. It's called Escape to Victory, maybe. But you found oh. it. Um and I, I just looked up Victory movie and the first thing that came up was a movie about <laughs> what you're saying. So yeah, So it's this. Okay. So they they break into the locker room at halftime and they're like, go through the tunnel. This is our chance to escape with all these guys. And they go, but we're barely losing. We can beat these guys. Oh no. So they turn around. Yeah. And they play the second half. Are you ready for this one? So they win. But then they, the crowd is so so shocked. They win that they rush the field and then they escape off in the crowd. What? <laughs> and Michael Caine is in it. <laughs> wow. And Pele. And Pele kind of just doesn't talk really. I'm just imagining in like traditional sports movies, movie fashion, like a bunch of Nazis coming around at the end and being like, juice, juice. <laughs> wow. wow. We got to, we got to, we got to yeah. watch that, baby. It's a great film. Oh my God. Well, to, to, Transition to something no less insane. Um, I feel like now would be a good time for Jews in the news. Um, Let's fucking hit it. Let's break the news. But Jews, it's news. Including Jews. Jews in the news. And our man George Santos is putting putting on a clinic for how to be a Jew in the news. Okay, so I have a. I, before you keep going on, just I I just wanted to ask because I haven't really been paying attention to the news lately. I've been uh I've been on some shit lately. Um, and I've never even fucking heard of George Santos. I thought you had gotten autocorrected George Soros yep. just because <laughs> I figured that because you live in the Bay yeah, Area. you would, Ioni. <laughs> no, it's but because George you live Soros in the Bay Area, like Soros would probably autocorrect to Santos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, right. No, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yes. I was like, That's oh, what the, in are- Calif- yeah, in California, his name is George, George Santos. <laughs> Um, so who is this fucker i'm so curious i only found some stuff about him lying about producing the failed spider-man broadway show he's just a bit i mean not to step up he's a big old liar that's the main thing about him he loves to lie he's a newly elected congressman from long island and like parts of queens i think it is um and the the true facts of his life are just that he's a Republican, he's gay, he's the first gay Republican elected to Congress rather than coming out once they're already elected, and he's like a Brazilian, like he, he was born and grew up in Brazil. And those are pretty much all the true facts. And then he's lied about like where he went to college. He said he nice. was on the Baruch College volleyball team. Um, that is a crazy school to lie about. Yeah, insane insane not a volleyball powerhouse no um, and also like like a school that you could get into with like c pluses b minuses yeah, yeah. a public school it feels, it feels like, like so i'll tell you some of the other ones and then I, I'll maybe i'll tell you my theory of what he was up to um so then he kind of lied about working at like i think it was goldman sachs and a couple other big wall street places 
Um, he lied about being Jewish. He lied about his grandparents being Holocaust survivors. And then when he was caught in his lies, he kind of said, oh, I was just saying Jewish. Like, he just said it was like kind of that. And he just said, oh, well, it's, it's a shtick that I do. Like, it's just this shtick that I have. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of think he was doing this like weird sort of pandering to like long island jews but just with like the most obvious lies in the world he's like yeah like i work in finance and i produce on broadway and like you know my everyone in my family is jewish and then their people are like no that actually didn't happen he's like yeah it's shtick you you guys know what that is shtick. it's long island so he's like i'm jewish i'm irish i'm yeah. italian-ish <laughs> yeah I, okay i mean but like i i kind of get like I think what I'm starting to understand about the world is all the weird kids that I've ever met in my entire life growing up from the time I was like three years old to my adult life now. There was always a kid who, no matter what, would just be lying about some wacky ass bullshit just to be part of the conversation. That is the kind of liar he seems to be is like a a liar kid. Like my my uncle works for Sony and I got the PlayStation (laughs) early type of thing. Exactly. And guess what? Eventually, one of those motherfuckers is going to have to get elected to Congress. So like, so here he is. That's fascinating. So he's not Jewish at all. Well, he's Jewish. He his like his dis his distant relations who came from Europe and went to Brazil seems to be about as Jewish as he is, but not like direct I Holocaust survivors. <laughs> I shouldn't have said at all. Yeah. They faced adversity, you know. you know. Speaking of lying kids, I had this kid growing up at soccer camp that we became best friends for the one week we were at soccer camp fully. Did he lie about beating the Germans in a fucking <laughs> soccer match with <laughs> fucking Sylvester Stallone? He's in it. I'm like, I'm not buying that. <laughs> that, that movie, movie can't, can't exist. exist. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. With Sylvester yeah. Stallone? You mean Rocky? <laughs> You mean a perfect movie that has Pele and Sylvester Stallone? Yeah, it's, it's, it can't happen. Uh, no, his lie was that his father was George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> was he? I presume his last name was not Lucas. I don't think I ever knew his last His first name was Lucas. <laughs> no, just I don't know. Yeah, I was like, close enough. His first name was George. I was like, oh, it's George yeah. Jr. Damn. I appreciate yeah. a big swing. <laughs> Oh, and I guess the other interesting thing about George Santos, which I think is maybe the most interesting thing about him, is like in the span of a year or two, he went from being like publicly quite broke, like he listed his income as like, you know, maybe like forty or fifty thousand dollars, some debt, like a run of sort of like tax and mortgage issues, and then sorry. Then once he was running for Congress, he loaned his campaign $700,000. And he, people are sort of like, where'd you get the money, pal? And he's like, and he's explained his job is like making introductions between rich people to sell things. So like if you have a yacht, like a mega yacht that you're trying to sell, like he'll call one of his friends from, you know, Baruch College or Goldman Sachs or whatever. And then when you sell the yacht, he takes his like finder's fee. But there's just like... Like, he's been caught in the less obvious lies, but it seems like there is a deeper sort of big lie going on that, like, people just don't quite know what this guy's deal is. Here's the problem. He doesn't seem remotely good at this. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's he's lying, but it's not remotely good, so he got caught, but he still, like, got elected in a position. So, like, how many of the politicians are just, like, this much better at lying and we're just not batting an eye? I have two thoughts. Number one... 
I think we've seen with a lot of different media figures and a lot of different politicians, especially that if you get caught in a lie, the only way out of it is to immediately start lying bigger and faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, if you get caught that you didn't actually go to Baruch College, guess what? You worked at Goldman Sachs. Guess what? <laughs> I actually have no money. Guess what? I have so little money that I have almost 10 times as much money as I said I did. That's how much money I don't have, but that's how much money I'm able to give to my <laughs> yeah. campaign. You just got to fucking, you know, you just got to fucking run, run the gambit with that. And number two, if anyone... And I mean this in your personal life. I mean that for politicians. I mean that for celebrities. If they reveal to you how much money they have in total in their savings and all their liquid assets to try to make a point, they have probably five times that. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, another fun thing he did is he, so like once he was just getting fucking like pilloried in the press every day, he invited a bunch of reporters to his office and just gave them Dunkin' Donuts. Like, this is going to save me. Like, I got him just, like, a, you know, a coffee, like, heater thing and, like, just a big, big box of donut holes. <laughs> like, he's just kind of, like, he's, like, this amazing combo of, like, a very successful scammer and just an idiot. There's also the drag thing, right? Oh, yeah. I don't really, I haven't, I don't know too much about that one, but. There was just, like, some picture that came out of him in drag and then people were like is this you and he was like no and people were like yes it is and he was like teehee <laughs> what's his um does he have like a drag yeah you're openly gay but you're like not drag well not i me. mean at the current republican party they're like fucking obsessed with drag yeah. yeah what is it did he have like a drag persona or was it more just like i'm i think in... it was just like some oh, some party i don't know uh-huh he was just having he, fun. Yeah. He really feels to me uh, like a Coen Brothers character a little bit. Like, I feel like he could, he would be like the congressman in Burn After Reading. I don't know. He just is, I, I like cannot wait to follow his public trajectory going forward. Like, he is, he is a real gift. I think w what happened is he always felt like someone else and he wanted to express that with drag. And then when he had political aspirations, he had to hide all the drag. And so all the lines, <laughs> just the repressed drag coming out. Mm. He's doing drag oh. like as a congressman. He's, it's sort of like a camp performance of being a corrupt Republican. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually wow. thought you were going to say that he had an idea of who he or he that he felt like he was someone else, but never had a good idea of who he wanted to be. So everything is just an <laughs> extension sort of of not really knowing who I am. I'm like, am I the... The finance guy or am i the the guy whose family came from brazil whose family like it doesn't matter because am i'm just I, trying uh, on you know, all of these spiker a setter i mean there are just so many yeah wait yeah he's wearing like a patagonia vest and like a tallis and like a skirt <laughs> like he's just so much going on pads. Pads. He's, 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 fucking... he's jewish <laughs> Bitch, like halalically, is that what you're asking? Is he a Jew? <laughs> Maybe I think like one of his great grandparents is Jewish. He's not of the tribe of Judah. He's not Jewish. Yeah, because it has to go by the mom, right? It's, it's probably the wrong grandparent if mm -hmm. he's caught as a lie. Yeah, knowing him, yeah.
he, he, he does a press conference. He's like, um, unfortunately, I have to admit I'm not Jewish because you're only Jewish if your mom is Jewish. And my mother was Whitney Houston. And yeah. <laughs> she's not Jewish. Has any have any of the, the New York Jews in your life like been talking about this guy? Like, has he come up as a, a subject of conversation, John? Only I've only seen him talk either this this one is to either John. In the room. I've only yeah, I've only seen stuff about him on Twitter, not not really IRL. I uh like I feel the version of talking to the older Jews in my life, especially my mom about any of this stuff, is just like ah Soros and then like never any words. Yeah, uh-huh. there's never real communication Ugh. about it. Yeah, my mom I feel like my parents watch the news so much that they have nothing to say about it cuz uh-huh. they just keep up with the cycle so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you see on you see what Matt had to say about this unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they're not even getting what they had to say about it out of it. Like they're uh-huh. really just like this happened. Remember th-? and then they'll watch it again. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm mad about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they're they're right about most stuff. I agree with my parents on most stuff, but the way they watch the news is pretty gross. Uh-huh. I think we all have like MSNBC lib parents to an extent. Or at least at least one, you know. I think we all got my parents are pretty like I don't know. I guess my dad doesn't have CNN as on as much as he could, but he has. He like feeds his brain Facebook. Yeah, I was say I don't think my parents like really watch the news on TV, but they're definitely soaking up like that side of Facebook. Anyway, that's a Jew my dad reads Yahoo Japan. I don't really know what's going on uh-huh. <laughs> over there. Um. All right, Sh- should we talk about this year fucking toy portion real quick, or not toy portion? Uh, fucking bit of bit of ri- bit of writings, bit of profits, bit of Joshua. Sure, um, let's. It's not not a whole lot there, but. Uh, well, okay. Here's the deal. This is what I was talking about. Is we took a break for a little bit, um, mostly because I was very busy and needed to put my my brain back together. Um, but I was thinking about how when we started this, we really wanted to try and not kind of approach this at the at the level necessarily that it's been approached over and over and over again, like making pre presumptions of what this is about or anything like that. But really on the case of the word, right? Like what, what are mm-hmm. the literal words on the page? And I think there's limitations to that. And I think when we get to things like this and when we get to – Books like Joshua and books like Le- – we kind of ran into it in Leviticus. You kind of run into the the fact that there's not a ton of abstract stuff going on at the surface. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I, – I did a little bit of research into like, well, what do people teach about this then? then? Which, Which is, is sort, sort of not, not what we do. do. I think it might be a good thing to approach as we refine our, our – I agree. I think we got to start uh, doing that. Yeah. 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 That being said – from what I was able to find about this section, not a lot of people have taken much underneath the esoteric level either. This is some pretty cut and dry shit. But I do think that it's, as going forward, it'll be interesting to see. And it's because I think it it's funny because, at least from the backgrounds that like uh, the three of us who are regularly on the show are on, there is sort of a promise that is made of when you read this book – the esoteric level will eventually make itself clear. And what we've come to find is perhaps that's not true universally Mm -hmm. for each section. Um, 
some things are truly just about like what we're going to cover is oh, these are what borders are and this is what these people thought were important to write down at this time. With that being said, let's just fucking push through this little bit of uh, <laughs> uh, summary right here so that everyone else, all the listeners are on the same page. I got this. This is Joshua part three, chapter 13 to 18. And guess what? Joshua is old and God doesn't want to let him retire. That's the first line that we get because um, they have a lot more killing to do. They basically they divvy up all the lands that they've already conquered between the tribes and they go, hey, there's some rules that we established about Levites not being able to have their own tracts of land, but being able to control individual cities. Um, and then we get a returning character, this guy, Caleb. He was one of the original spies who went into the promised land with Joshua way back in numbers. Um, and Caleb is like, look, I was a good boy back then. I'm a good boy now. He's still looking snatched by by, uh, by the descriptions in there. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I might be old, but I will kill again. Um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, what character? Oh, yeah. yeah. I kind of feel like I might be old, but I will kill again is like literally like that should be on Clint Eastwood's like, gravestone. <laughs> like been doing that for a while now that would be great if they made if they had made a clint eastwood joshua it is heyday and there was like it was the first biblical one that was just pure violence there was uh-huh. no to it there was no and it was just clint eastwood killing but in the desert with sticks yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, even even the chapter kind of like frames as he kind of approaches Joshua. He's probably got his big old cloak on and been like, I know you don't remember who I am, but I remember who you are. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So basically they they grant him an area um, which is Hebron now, and it says so back then. And then he goes and he kills the sons of a giant. Not a lot more going on there. Just sort of a casual mention that, hey, these people might be huge. So that means they're not giants. If you're saying they're the son of a giant. Oh, okay. Right? Because mm. babies are small. Oh, are, he's killing babies? <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought uh, I, I, they're like, they're like semi giants is where they're just tall people. Okay. They're just tall. Their dad was a giant, but they're, they're, they're just hoopers. Cause I assume you would just say they are giants. I don't know. Um, and then so he does that and then he offers his daughter or Caleb offers his daughter as property for anyone who will conquer another nearby town. And this is apparently all in the conquest of the land that will belong to Judah. Judah. Uh, it also just mentions that the Jebusites of renown in this text uh, live in Jerusalem currently, uh, but they don't drive them out and that they still live there. So that's nice, I guess. Um, Judah, relative of George Soros, <laughs> or George Santos. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, they uh, children of Ephraim also get their own little bit of land, but instead they take the indigenous populations of slaves instead of like genociding them. Um, so that's that's a, an interesting thing that they wanted to tell us. Yeah, there are a couple parts where it's like. There was this group of people here. They couldn't quite kick them out, and now they coexist by them being slaves. It's like, yep. hmm, okay. Um, so then there are these five daughters of this one person. They're named Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Milka, not Milka. Um, 
Milka and Tirza, and they basically go like, "Hey, there's no uh, inheriting men, quote unquote, in our family, um, but we're still doing inheritance. So what's the deal? Can we get our own bit of land?" And their request is granted. I remember learning about this in uh, religious school, and a lot more was made out of it then than is perhaps in this text. Um, mm-hmm. A lot more in what way? Um, about how really you can look at this and see that the the ancient Israelites had were in some ways aiming and striving for equality amongst all peoples, um, which. They, we weren't reading the couple of lines ahead of the time where they said that they were just integrating the indigenous population as servants and slaves. Um, we can it's get like into I that. I remember we had um, in some class I had, we had debates between, we had to argue whether it was better to be a Spartan or a Greek. Um, and I think I was on team Spartan or like that was what it was assigned to me. And one of my big points was that I was like, well, Spartan women can inherit property when I feel, I feel like that's like a style of vaguely, uh, liberal historical teaching, whether it's like, you know, here's this one place where women weren't in like utter bondage. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. A society that is propped up on slavery of other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> Also, this is as that movie 300 was coming out. So I just kind of feel like there was like a little bit, a little bit of Spartan tolerance in the air. Like we kind of all want it. I don't know. Well, there's a, there's a fair amount of that going on, I think, in general. But uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So basically then after the, they, they go through this and Joshua kind of calls a big old meeting with all the Israelites, all of them, everyone, because this is kind of like where they're going to give the land assignments but joshua first has to roast them and basically say that they're lazy and that they still have land to conquer which i don't i didn't get any indication that anyone else thought they were done but um and then basically each of the tribes who have yet to get land all appoint three people who go to survey the land and then they're like all right we're gonna divvy this up amongst the people real quick and that is the summary 13 to 18 not a crazy amount going on. A couple here, here to do's, and a couple here to theirs. But uh, you know, some here to fours, a little bit. But uh, I'm curious. Did you guys what? What did you guys find about this little section of O Bible? I I, I thought it was very boring. Um, it uh, made me very sleepy. Made me want to fall asleep. Um. No, yeah, I kind of felt I kind of resonate with what you were saying earlier, Ariani, that the words on the page are only going to get us so far and that our ancestors tried to dig deeper for a reason because there's not that much there. And I mean, they could have just, you know, left it, been like, I'm not reading this. What is there to (laughs) instead they wrote stuff about it? That's also probably pretty boring to be to be fair. But yeah, I don't know. I was listening to some rabbi talk about it on YouTube and that was also pretty boring. Um, but <laughs> he was saying, he was just talking about how like, like, yes, yeah, certain group, like it kind of goes back to the fact that like certain groups, even within like a family or a people, like certain groups just get hooked up and certain groups don't, don't get shit. <laughs> oh, you, know. you know, just, it just be like that. That's kind of what hey, he was. There's t- a section. Um, there's a section where he talks about just drawing lots 
like literally, you know, like at a certain point, like some of the bigger picture, like, you know, this tribe has this zone, this tribe has this zone, but like the exact borders at a certain point, he's essentially just like rolling the dice. I think maybe if there is like any larger point to this chapter, it's just that it's somewhat arbitrary. Like, you know, Caleb gets some extra land just by walking up to the guy, getting out the land and being like, remember me. And then like, you know, some, there's some other woman who's like, oh, you know, I'm getting married, but like, I don't have a dowry. Could I have some more land? And then they're like, okay, there's some drawing some lots. There's like, you know, people who are the real go-getters and are like, I'm going to go, you know, kill these forest people instead. It's, it's just kind of like, we've moved like well past to the chosen people stage and like the promised land stage. And now it's just like bureaucratic, like, you know, you want the, you want this thing from the land office? Like maybe go talk to the guy, see if you can charm him. We're chosen, but like how chosen, just how chosen are you individually? Like, yeah, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of chosen people. So like get, get in line. Yeah. Yeah. He calls them slack at one point, like as Ayani was saying, he's just fully roasting on me. He says, How long will you be slack about going and taking possession of the land? <laughs> like where he's like <laughs> a one hundred and thirty year old man being like, How long are you all really gonna take? A bat like flies out of his mouth as he says <laughs> yeah. that. He's just like a million years old. It's just a very the practical side of Judaism. There is that like law culture, right? Yeah. And I'm sure it gets, even though we're like it's not that significant if you're trying to look for spiritual meaning in it, it gets very talked about, I'm sure, as, as far as laws involving women and how to divide things and stuff. I'm sure mm-hmm. it gets deeply discussed. And I think that is the meaning of like technically right the people of the tribe are in a better place now they have some land they are closer but in a way there is less beauty or spirituality in that because now you're competing with each other mm-hmm. and you're just living mundanity which mm-hmm. it's like it's showing it has less meaning you know right it's like less romantic of a story when there's not really like an oppressor to defeat and like you're kind of are the oppressor a little bit mm-hmm. Not, yeah, this, yeah is this is like, like the, the, the drama, drama is like, is like a state, state law, law here. here which is right. like, like not that drama <laughs> not that we much are drama. far we're far from the days of being the underdog slaves escaping into a land that a deity has promised us now we're like in the land and people are like Oh shit! I didn't realize that there would be nicer and not as nice parts of this land. Mm-hmm. The underdog is the person who's like, "Wait, you guys didn't leave me any slaves. What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the landscaping of my inheritance is like really not doing it for me. Um, yeah one one of the one of the plot lines here is just th- this one group of people gets a hilly patch of land and they're like, "It's too hilly." Josh is <laughs> <laughs> like, "Go to that place where all those trees. Maybe like the trees." And they're like. We don't want to go do tree stuff. <laughs> like, this is... I'm not a yeah. tree person. These yeah. lands don't scream me. When I'm in the shade, I get a little cold. <laughs> yeah, everything else, like leading up to this, and everything with Moses is like about perseverance and all of that. And then, you know, holding your faith. And then this is just you get what you get and you don't get upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get what you get and you don't get upset. That is a, a classic Jewish proverb <laughs> for anyone who went to a Jewish preschool. There's a there's also a level of like in the beginning of this book and also when Moses was in charge, there was such a huge 
emphasis on obedience and like Mm -hmm. like you know they like fuck up they fuck up a battle or whatever because they don't do it the way god tells them to do it right and like it's kind of it's it's interesting john that what you're saying too is like the 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 story part of it is almost like dying out where it's like ah well god basically did the we're in the promised land right so now it's a little bit more ad lib like he said that you have to genocide everyone i don't know take them as slaves whatever the fuck like it doesn't actually matter like we're just trying to figure out how to get everyone into the fucking funnel okay and remember if you want to marry one of your slaves you have to give them a few weeks to mourn Mm. first Mm -hmm. i heard a great speech about that on the 10th anniversary of (laughs) 9-11 um there's kind of a creepy well not creepy if you've you know now that we've been reading this thing for a while but there's one part where they just talk about like one of the tribes uh when they go out and uh conquer hebron um then at the end it just says and the land had rest from war it was like well it was like after they after they were done making war the land i don't know you know that's i think uh, a beautiful way of saying it decomposed the bodies <laughs> oh there's i can't remember who it was but uh there there was like there's some quote about the rome it was about the romans but they were basically like the romans will come through and turn like a beautiful land into a desert and call it peace mm-hmm. where it's just like it's it's kind of that it's like well everyone was dead so no one had any fighting to do. <laughs> yeah. And the land was good. That's also about urbanization, I think. I think probably too. Um, but, I really uh, didn't like that the Romans had like like big squares and stuff. They, did, they didn't like it. That's the whole Maxis thing. They were on their NIMBY shit. They were a square people, them Romans. Building all these freeways. They, they were, were neither acute nor obtuse. They did love square. pedophilia, though. That was sure their thing. Okay. Anyway. Um, oh, I feel like we've rung. I mean, honestly, I'm impressed we even rang like 10 or 15 minutes out of this. Oh, I have some. I have a couple more things, actually, because oh. of what I was talking about, about how mm. you have to engage maybe with how these other people are fucking engaging with it. And I found two main ways that the people engage with this part of Joshua. He went to Jared. What? <laughs> Sorry. Well, you just kept saying engage and you're talking about engagement. I'll allow it. That was a, a fucking dumb joke. Anyway, Ioni, go for it. <laughs> I, I st- I'm still missing it, but uh, whatever. Keep divine uh, engagement ring. You were talking about, you know, we got to engage with the peop- the way that people engage. And y- when you get engaged, you go to Jared to buy a, uh, a diamond ring. <laughs> Just let him have this one. I was going to say, I'm from Welcome the to my area. beautiful mind. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's Shane Co., please. There's no fucking Jareds around here. <laughs> Is Jared regional? I don't think I knew that. I know that they're not doing the same kind of business that Shane is. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, anyways, so the main okay, way they that went people... to Shane. <laughs> Shane Cole. Cole. You have a friend in the diamond business. Now it's jewelry. Diamonds have a lot of thing baggage going on with them. John doesn't um, have any idea what you guys are talking about. It's just a, a line of commer- it's just a line of commercials in the Bay Area for a diamond place. They list a bunch of cities in the. It's like a very it's stupid it's like area nonsense 
This is this is this is truly shenanigans and a farce. Um, <laughs> but if we're gonna share local commercials, and this is Judaism related, because I had my bar mitzvah here. I had my bar mitzvah at a place that used to exist called the Grand Prospect Hall that was very famous because they shot one commercial in like 99-ish or like 2000, and they ran it through like 2014. And it was just like really bad dramatic music. And then the two people who did not know how to be on camera who owned the business went, the Grand Prospect Hall, we make your dreams come true. <laughs> And they would just run it during the local news forever in New York. Nice. If it ain't broke, do not fix it. I love when a business owner insists on making their own commercials. It's yeah, it's special especially yeah. Or and I love when the, when they involve the teenage kids where they're like, Cardinale Toyota, fine quality SUVs and sedans. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, back at the radio station, those were rough days when a business owner would come in to record their own spots. Because <laughs> it was like, oh, you have 50 seconds. This will take three and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like when people say, like, you know, the customer is always right. Like in an advertising context, like the business owner is probably always wrong. I, I would think. Almost every time. And we'd be yeah. like, it's not more money to have our voice talent do it. Um. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I derailed you so yes. hard. Please, let's get back. Um, People typically uh, interact, let's say, with these. So the 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 two things I found, the two threads I found, were basically the historicity of the text, right? Like how how do we learn about history from this? Which spoilers alert, you don't. And then the other one that I thought was interesting was there were a number of both Jewish and Christian. Uh, like websites and blogs I found that took a real like how to be a leader from the Joshua story. Um, like like leadership training. Uh-huh. You you know how that to kind win of friends and influence people. Yeah, like that yeah. kind of shit. And I thought that was uh-huh. very, very interesting. How to gain friends and influence them to go back and play the second half of soccer against the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll start with the the leadership one because they're actually not that it's not that like in depth or whatever. It, it really is just kind of a like, well, Joshua was a leader and and he never gave up. And a lot of stuff about like, especially with the some of the Christian ones I saw that was like, hey, if you just completely devote yourself to God, it's gonna work out okay. Um, so there was a lot about that, and then the other stuff uh, stuff I found was like the historicity about it of like what is this book and what can it tell us about like events that actually happened? Um, and I got into this whole deal about this Chabad rabbi kind of like talking you through the history of like where these people came from and who they are and all that, except for that, like the shit's not quite real. We mentioned, (laughs) (laughs) it's just that like you can, if you want to approach it, that way that's fine it's just that and like and use that as a way of like basically what you can take away from the the book of joshua is at that time that they're talking about a bunch of people were moving around and shit was all in conflict because a bunch of basically regional superpowers had collapsed and people didn't know what the fuck was going on 
which meant that if you were in one place, you probably left to somewhere else. And if you were in that place, you probably went to somewhere else. And all the places that were relatively chill became unchill because all the people who were previously in unstable regions wanted to be stable in those regions. And so they were all fighting. And probably whoever all of these people are at some point, like all these different Israelite tribes or whatever, are probably people who agreed to some kind of alliance or some kind of shared whatever to like make to make it happen, sort of. So basically that like we mentioned it before how like the uh, there were like archaeologists who were saying that it doesn't really look like the the stories of like these actual real places that they went actually went down the way they went that like there might be people like we might be taking credit for city destructions and things like that of stuff that all happened beforehand and that's basically what they're taught that's the same deal right is that this is a story written to sort of take credit and to contextualize the movement of a population at this time when shit was just getting fucking wiggity in the region where like kingdoms are falling and 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 armies are going this way and like whole things are getting sort of destroyed and the social order of everything is getting flipped on its head. We were just discussing how they get social points for conquering, right? So it mm-hmm. makes sense that there was a lot of lies. And they're like I conquered mm-hmm. this place and maybe they believed them and it was just to get social points and actually yeah. just wandered around. Much more valuable narrative maybe than Maybe George just, Santos like, really is up. Jewish then. You know, it's, it's all about just like lying and making shit up. I think maybe that guy is part of the tribe after all. He is carrying on, yeah, a noble tradition of like a, a useful, a useful fib. But I mean, and, and it kind of makes sense too, because it's, it's the things that are like collapsing are like whatever dynasty of Egypt is falling apart, right? This early version of Greek culture that spread throughout the, the Mediterranean has just collapsed essentially and then there's all these other like smaller regional powers that are all essentially upset by this and that's part of what allows these other more famous like empires that we've heard of like the assyrians and whatever to conquer is everything is all fucked up essentially so it kind of makes sense that i'll bet you a lot of people at that time were writing their stories like i mean yeah we did that like we're that's how special we are like we just fucking rolled into this land, and guess what? Uh, everything everything was different because we're that fucking cool, right? But it, but what they're doing is they're basically looking they're looking at the sort of collapsing world around them and being like, let's write let's write our new story in let's write our new story in this kind of like fresh concrete, like while while it's still fresh and while it's still wet, let's put our imprint on it because otherwise it's just going to be like well. We got here and it was all weird. Yeah, and it's like kind of a more comforting narrative. Like, you know, we had these kind of heroic patriarchs who like conquered this land and divided it up all fairly and like they came from this great history. Then just like the world is full of chaos and randomness happened and now we're here. Like that's not that's not a story you can do almost anything with. We defeated the sons of giants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a sexier story than just like, you know, 12 elders or whoever sort of had the clever idea that shit around the Egypt Egypt region is looking like it might not hold out that good and things seem kind of unstable up north. So why don't we go up there and maybe we can find a spot where no one's going to fuck around with us? 
But that is a, a way more honest, if we're going to talk about Jewish people now, Jewish strength and narrative than war is it's just like really smart investing. It's knowing when to buy real estate. <laughs> I mean, but also like, yeah, there's a the, there's there is a bit of that just like, hey, let's look at the um, like, let's look at the circumstances of what it was, you know, I. Hey, shit in Europe is looking a little bit wiggity right now. Like, it cannot be that much worse in America. Like, why don't we pick up things and and get the fuck out of here? They're kind of doing a version of that, of like, well, whatever this fucking Egypt stuff uh, we're doing is not looking good, and whatever the previous social order is, so why don't we all pack up our shit and get going? Because wherever we're going to get going to, it's it's all chaos anyways. We might be able to find somewhere that actually is, is able to foster us. And I feel like adding on to the, or like just an interesting correspondence with that idea is that this is so granular and detailed that it's almost trying to like retroactively establish like a documented history in some place, even though as you're saying, it's just been moving from one place to another all around the world, basically constantly. And even the fact that this was kind of collated into a single document during a time of exile, like it's this kind of crazy, like move of like here's this well-documented history of us always being here even though you know i'm actually kind of writing this when we're not there at all it's just sort of yeah it's just an interesting context wow there you go this is this is making us think about some interesting things good job (laughs) the other thing that i found was that there's a fair amount of debate about how it should be taught in like israeli schools Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, I bet. Which makes sense. Um, which is which that, like, do you think some, is more political, the, the, the Park Slope Food Co-op or like school boards in Israel talking about uh, the history of the land of Israel? Equal. <laughs> <laughs> Opinions are hot. The, the members at, of the Park Slope, Park Slope Food Co-op in like the back room arguing about like, minutia about like where certain lines are in judea <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> these mushrooms are from hebron they're not from like the same lines are just based off of work it's like the work shift but it's the same argument <laughs> it's like you have to stock the the peppers yeah <laughs> like, you 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 only have three members in your household you can mm-hmm. i was here 40 years ago and i was stocking the peppers and i can still stock them just as well wait so Ayani, what's the uh What's the debate in of these in the Israeli schools? Okay, ba- I mean, basically, like you can take it's it's not really a debate. It's basically like how much do you emphasize it, right? Like, so the people who are a little bit more nationalistic in uh, temperament, including some of the founders of Israel, are like the state of Israel are like, look at this amazing biblical book where we just come in and fuck everybody up, and this is our land by right and God. Um, and then there's other people who are like, hey, maybe you don't need to teach 14-year-olds that. <laughs> they are only like four years away from being in war. So you kind of quite literally need to teach them that if you're going to send mm-hmm. them to war. I think I think basically is like the um, – the the bigger more serious versions of the debate is like how much within the like relatively secular israeli schooling system are you trying to insinuate a a religious slash god-given 
reason into like a concrete political situation. And I think the debate is kind of like, do we want kids to be learning at that? Like, this is sort of the, the duel of, of the cosmos where we fight for. And yeah. And then some people in terms of like whatever they have to teach kids to get them excited to go into the IDF, like there's enough propaganda from the last hundred years. That's probably more their focus than like old shit like this. Yeah. But there's all sorts of like modern, like there are all these like archeological like parks and like ways that either the Israeli government or like powerful forces in Israel are like using a version of Jewish history where the Jews have always been there and the land was just sort of theirs as a, political tool in the present so like if you say oh you know i found this artifact in hebron that showed we were actually always there and like so it is kind of like i mean i take your point that like you know oh they're sending rockets and they're like blowing up your grandma's house is like probably more compelling to some teenager than like some esoteric like archaeology archaeological debate but like there is a level of them using this like historicity debate as a contemporary thing to stake a claim about like who's supposed to be here, what does that mean we get to do, who gave us the land, etc. Without believing that God gave you the land of Israel, it's pretty hard to feel that you have a right to that land specifically. It's one thing to believe in a Jewish sure. state, but like very famously, and all the Israeli kids know this, you know, Herzl said no to an opportunity to have a Jewish state in a different place. Because it needed to mm-hmm. specifically be Israel and to buy into that, I think you have to believe that it's this manifest destiny thing. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of has to come from both sides, like historical, theological. Is that, is that on? He was such a diva about it having to be that one place. He's like a. It's like a jappy girl that'll only live in Williamsburg. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to go south. Yeah, yeah. Instead of the idea being like, I don't want to live in Queens. They're like, I don't want to live in Uganda. <laughs> I don't want to have a Jewish <laughs> state in you. That's what they offered them. Yeah. We, we should do an episode about the Uganda plan. And yeah, also we, should, the, we the, should. That fascinates me more than anything of the hypothetical of the also? state of Israel in Uganda. Are you guys familiar with the Nazis Madagascar plan? No, it's somewhat it's it's basically before they figured out that the final solution was going to be the Holocaust and genocide. The the goal was to just deport all Jews from Europe. And they were like, Madagascar seems like a nice spot. Can you imagine all the Jews living the island life? Uh, uh, Do you think Ugandans are ever like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Dodge the bullet there. I'm sure they are. But, and there's also, you know, Uganda, Ethiopia are very close. So there are Jews in that region. Um, but mm-hmm. the, the Madagascar plan, it's just crazy because before World War II, Jews were trying to get a Jewish state. And the Nazis were like, we have two ideas. We either give the <laughs> Jews exactly what they want or we kill all of them. <laughs> the only two. I'm thinking option two. There's some pretty fun. There's some pretty fucked up and also kind of funny like stories of like these like uh like during that time and during like early 
like European Jewish, Jewish settlement of that region where it's just like all of these Polish anti-Semites who fucking hate Jews being like, we're going to have to train these Jews to fight so that they can fucking settle that land and get the fuck out of Poland. Well, yeah, it's just it's crazy <laughs> that there could have been this different version of history where our Holy Land, our birthright is to because uh, I would have still already been in the U.S. and our birthright is to Madagascar. And we're like, you know who we really have to thank for being in Madagascar? The great German man, Adolf Hitler. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Because he gave us the land of Madagascar. If we had gone to Madagascar, but then they, you know, it was like kind of like an an Esther, or, you know, they they wanted us to bow down to King Julian, and we wouldn't, so they start killing us. You know? These Jews don't like to move it. Yeah, we don't. We don't like to move it. Move it. Jews do like to move it. Also, I'm just like, I'm just now thinking about what Jewish food would be like if we were in Madagascar, and it would be like challah and like, you know, coconut curry and like fufu. Yeah, sounds pretty sick, honestly. Um, so, oh, sure, hey. good food. Yeah, I said maybe. So that's what I got. That was that was my, uh, you know, that was my delve deep into the uh, the world of of Joshua and what people are saying about it. And like I said, I just thought it was funny that I tried very hard to engage with the text on some level that was not very literal. And most of what I got from the people who do this for a living slash care a lot more about these texts was like. I mean, this section's pretty literal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's maybe not a there there so much. <laughs> well, soon we'll be out of Joshua, and then what's next? The, is it King David? Is it the... There's a... Some, it's, it's like some horny, some horny love letters, right? Not quite. I think what we're, what we're going to get into is we're going to get into some more stories about kind of like the, the history and the land. But I do think we're going to get into characters a little bit more. and We're going to get back into stories. At some point, we're going to have to read about Samson and Delilah, you know, of famous songwriting uh, fame. And, and also <laughs> we're going to talk about Saul. Um, mm. He becomes a lawyer later. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Okay. Bad pop culture references because this this book is everywhere. Um, but as for now, as it stands, this is Joshua. This is where we're at. For Richard, for which it stands. Are you, are you citing the Pledge of Allegiance? For, for Richard, Richard stands. stands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Richard stands. Um, yeah, thanks again for coming on, John. Is there anything you want to... Um, let let the people know about where they can find you and, and whatnot yeah uh, comic john with no h on instagram is where i'm most active i have a show that just moved from sundays to saturdays at a pretty cool coffee shop in the west village called comedy kings uh so if you're in new york city check that out it's a comedy game show based off of the drinking game kings so cards sort of determine the set of the comedian and yeah other than that i enjoyed being on thanks for having me yeah, thanks for coming on. This was a great combo. Um, ta-ta. Good night, everybody.